This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 39th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's show, the tables are turned. I'm interviewed by Hugo Ribeiro, who is based in Brazil. Hugo is one of the most passionate people about the new view of safety and learning teams that I know. Hugo was taught and coached by the godfather of learning teams himself, Todd Conklin. Hugo works for a living as a safety professional and has been instrumental with support of others in building a community of practice in Brazil of the new view of safety. The title of today's podcast is Learning Teams the Brazilian Way. In essence, the Brazilian way refers to how Brazilians make relationships personal ones in order to create a particular set of rules for themselves and to being flexible or providing a fix to a problem. It's an acknowledgement that real-life issues often require solutions that the written rules may not account for. This may well be a reason why learning teams resonate so deeply with that community. The book, The Practice of Learning Teams, has become the number one how-to guide for building better community practice of learning teams in Brazil. During the podcast, you'll hear a brief conversation about the high cost of books in Brazil. During and shortly after the podcast, I spoke with Hugo and my fellow authors, Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson, and we agreed on a collaboration to translate the book into Portuguese and to set a local domestic cost of the book through Amazon to help and support the Brazilian community to learn and improve. Please listen to Hugo and myself as we explore the practice of learning teams. Hello, everybody. Today I'm here with Brent Sutton. Uh, real pleasure having him uh, with us in the podcast. His name was uh, uh, asked for many of our viewers uh, because I recommended his book, as you can see in, the, in his screen, The Practice of Learning Things. Uh, I really recommend you guys to read this book. Unfortunately, Brent, it's so expensive still in Brazil since the, the dollar rate is so high. But for those who can afford this, uh, it's only available virtual, uh, I guess, in Brazil. But some of my friends, they, they ask me, hey, how can I start in the learning team journey? And I say, always say, buy the Brent's book uh, and read it, and then we can talk again. So congratulations on this great job that you guys put together. It's a methodology that for sure is going to be the future in, le in learning and in incident investigation. And please, Brent, see if you can introduce yourself to our viewers, for those who don't know you, uh, please feel free and thank you again for accepting. Oh, no, and look, thank you, Hugo. And, and once again, it's a real pleasure to join all my friends in Brazil and um, help them on their journey of learning teams. And uh, maybe you and I will have a chat later on about producing a book in uh, Portuguese and um, we, we can price it for Brazil. If, if that's what if that's what the I have means. I have done this already. <laughs> Todd, absolutely. I've done this already with Todd, and it's the best seller in safety in Brazil. So yeah, uh, I'm always ready to help. 
Cool. No, we, we'll be more than happy to uh, to do that, to build that community as well. So look, I mean, my journey, particularly in safety um, and in risk management, it's coming up, it's over 20 years for me now. And and a bit like Todd, um, my, my journey in safety has really come about from uh, dealing with uh, major harm and fatality events in workplaces. And when I first met Todd many years ago, a lot of what he was saying to me just resonated so deeply with me. The points he was making were, were just so intuitive and so important. And we talk about that quite a bit in the book. Um, and that's really what started off my learning team's journey. And I, I've spent the last, I, I would go up and see Todd, try and go see Todd um, once a year or twice a year and, and spend time with him to really understand that. And Todd was here about two years ago. Um, it was in July, 2019. And we're having a chat and we talk about how do we grow community? How do we, how do we make learning teams um, widely available uh, across the world and to different people and different organizations? Because learning's so important. Um, and that's, that's when we decided to write the book about the practice of learning teams. And the book is not a, is all about the how-to. So we talk a little bit about the what, you know, and particularly, you know, what what's the value of it? What does it mean? We touch a little bit around some of the science that sits in the background, uh, particularly around group knowledge versus in, individual knowledge. But we really wanted to explore um, what does good look like? So, you know, a lot of people um, a little bit... Not, I don't know. I don't know if the word "scared" is right, but they're a little bit cautious about starting that journey. And the thing about learning teams, particularly for people that come from that safety space, we're asking them to stop being the expert, and we want them to be curious, and we want them to facilitate these group discussions, these group conversations. And that's a skill that is actually quite difficult when you're jumping from being the expert, I have all this information, I can tell you what to do, I know how it works, to now being this role of being curious. And it's difficult. It's a difficult skill to gain. So the book was about um, showing people how to gain those skills. And, and, and as we talk further, I think the most important part of that building that skill is reflecting. And as people, we don't spend enough time reflecting. Yes, I <clears> totally <throat> agree. We're always fixing. Always fixing. Always fixing. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the main word in in uh, incident investigation in a traditional view. Uh, I've been a lot of situations where you just uh, notes, you just record the, the incident or report the incident to, to the leadership or to somebody else. Or even if you are in a conversation, informal conversation with your friends somewhere, and you report then an incident that happened somewhere, and they just jump into solutions and jump into uh, fixing things. For example, if we mention any accident, uh, now, just try to do this experience. Next time you have the opportunity, tell uh, somebody about an incident 
and they will probably come up with solutions instead before even knowing everything about the event. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and, and uh, Hugo, there's no doubt we want to fix the hazard. We want to fix how the energy got released from the hazard. We want to fix that. But you can't fix people. We want people to learn. And, exactly. and, and I think there is a role for fixing, but we need to fix the thing that caused the harm. We need people who are involved in that work to learn from, from that experience. But, it, but it's quite sad that we want to learn from harm when in fact we should be looking to learn from everyday work. Exactly, that's my call every day in my company, the company I work for, let's do, and we are doing pretty good on preventive uh, learning team, active learning teams. Uh, so we've been capturing a lot of opportunities before bad things happen. Brent, one of the questions that uh, appeared most uh, for you when I told people that I would talk to you was how can we know that the facilitator is ready uh, to facilitate or to conduct a learning team section because uh, it's it's the the toughest thing that people are struggling right now in, in the beginning of the journey they they don't i wouldn't say trust but probably i, I don't find any better word they don't trust people to lead a, a learning group uh, when they are not totally familiar with the methodology so how can we know that we can lean on somebody to, to conduct and to facilitate a learning Look, I mean, that's really interesting because um, obviously what we've done in, in the book is that we, we've developed a an assessment guide for someone to work out where, they, where they're at in their journey. But the most important thing for someone who is facilitating a learning team, and when we say facilitate, we don't really mean uh, lead. We talk, talk more about guide. They're guiding people through that process. Um, the power of a conversation is really important. But I, I agree, Hugo, this, this thing that you talked about is something that comes up quite often. And that's why we developed the PDCA model for learning teams, to give people some guiding framework of how to start. And like anything else, you need to plan for a learning team. Uh, particularly if it's an event-based learning team, you need to plan for it. Because um, when you're dealing, doing learning teams for events or accidents or incidents, you're really dealing with a lot of emotion. So you need to make sure that uh, uh, people feel so psychologically safe, that they feel they're going to be listened to, that they're going to be respected. You know, uh, all these things become really important. That's less so when you're dealing with uh, things like, say, doing a review of the risk or reviewing some of the controls or a bit every day. Those things are much more about conversations. So I would say to people, start using learning teams around reviewing something. So, you know, reviewing work as imagined versus work as done. Don't do it with accidents or incidents because that, that really needs that emotional component. So as your own skills build, you become more comfortable but there is no such thing as the perfect learning team because it's all about learnings. And it's not about whether your learnings are good or bad, it's about learnings themselves. So 
what we've seen people, and, and we're the same thing, how I run a learning team now is different to how I run it a year ago. Because you, you become more proficient over time as you build those skills, and those skills continue to develop. Um, so, so I think reflecting is a really important part. So at the end of every learning team, what we do is we say, what did the organization learn from this learning team? What did workers learn from this learning team? And what did I, as the facilitator, learn from the learning team as well? And, and keeping yeah. a journal is really important. Exactly. I, I have been involved in so many, like uh, hundreds of learning teams facilitating and as a member of the team as well. And I totally agree with you. The time, in the beginning, I tried to lead uh, and it didn't work. So then I learned uh, how to facilitate, how to give people the, the correct tools uh, for them uh, create the learning. And I, I always make an analogy with chess because I, I like to play chess. And I was watching the, the candidates tournament. So they will decide who is going to face the world champion. And there was a the computer. He has all the results. He knows uh, how to win every game. You know? So it's impossible to win against the computer. And the computer was showing uh, an advantage for one of the players. But the, the commentaries, the people that were analyzing, uh, the grandmasters that were analyzing, they didn't know how to win. But the world, the, the, the world champion that was commenting and was watching, analyzing the, the, the game as well, he said, the player knows that there is an advantage, uh, an advantage to him, and he's trying to find it. But he knows he's an advantage, but he doesn't know yet how to, to win the game. But he knows he knows his game. He's, he's in a gaining position. So after this, I realized that people know the answers that I'm looking for. I still don't know, but I need to facilitate them to put this outside and to make it available for us. But they have the answers that I'm looking for. And the, facilitate, the facilitator role in the learning group is, is like this, like showing them that the path to find the, the gaining position. So I don't know if you have some... Uh, yeah, no, look, that, look, it's really important because if you think about it, um, uh, we're not trying to drive an outcome. We're trying to guide people to provide that context of that risk. And it doesn't matter what people share with you, what they're doing is they're sharing their view, their context of it. And the more we can get that from people, um, then the better the group starts to shape what that looks like. Um, you know, we get asked all the time, what's the ideal number of people on a learning team? Okay, it's, re it's really interesting. Um, you know, uh, the first thing, it needs to be more than three people. That's for real. Okay, so you need to have more than three people. Um, but when you start getting past sort of the eight to 12 mark, that starts to put more pressure on the facilitator. But if you've got um, other uh, co-facilitators with you, then you can have a slightly bigger group. Yes. So, so opt optimal is sort of around that sort of eight mark, but we know, I mean, I've run them up to 40 with 40 people in a group. 
and it puts more pressure on the facilitator. That, that's really the key to it. So we, when we do the larger learning teams, I typically have other co-facilitators. And yeah, that's we, a really interesting uh, hint that you are giving people because everybody that starts learning uh, about these learning groups, they, they are like stack on this how many people should I put, should I use? And, and I read that, that from four to 10, and they get stuck on this, but having more facilitators uh, is gonna allow you to, to create uh, bigger groups and, and develop and, and enable uh, good learnings as well. Yeah, well and, and, learn, and learn from the issues that happen with bigger groups. Because um, what it comes down to is um, uh, uh, personalities start to come in. Uh, you know, a, as the groups get bigger, um, uh, people with these um, different personalities start to come through. And that just becomes more of the challenge. It's no different. We hear this all the time about how do I record the learning team? Does it need to be sticky notes? Does it need to be, um, you know, uh, on the wall? And, and we're saying to people, uh, do something that allows workers to freely discuss and freely explore. Don't, don't use something that puts the load back onto the worker because that's the job of the facilitator. That's the facilitator's job is to capture those learnings. What do you think about having the bosses or the direct reports in this section? Well, so, so I think I think a couple of things. If if those leaders haven't been involved in a learning team, then it's natural that they want to try and influence in some way. So what what we explored, um, and we've done this in the PDCA model that people can download for free as we're basically saying, um, it's really important that leaders are present to introduce a learning team. That's really valuable, that they can, they can introduce what the learning team is. And it's also useful that they come back into the learning team later on when we start to move into the whole thing around um, clarification and solution mode. And that's a good opportunity for uh, the people that have been part of the learning team to present back to leadership their deeper understanding of the problem. Exactly. But, but, I, but yes. I've seen if, if a leader has come in and there's been no coaching or there's been no expectation set for them, then they will move into their default mode of wanting to control. Yes. <laughs> and they feel that no matter what is said, that they have to contribute in some way. Whereas what we're wanting them to do is we're wanting them to listen. We want them to observe and we want them to see the power of operational learning. Okay. That's something that always pop up in the question. So people just say, it's not allowed to have bosses in the room, but they never considered. And I saw this in, in the book, you know, so if you if you work on the on the boss, on the leader, uh, if you prepare him, if he's trained, if he's ready to allow, 
a psychological safety to take place and the learning to take place. Uh, it's not uh, mandatory that it's not allowed to have no. people in the higher positions. Yeah, and, and look, it's really interesting that what we've seen as as leaders in particular get to better understand operational learning, they want to embrace it. Yes, of course. Um, if you go back to um, Todd's, the three questions that leaders can ask about stickies, you know, that's a great way of introducing a leader to seeing the value of operational learning in that way. Yes. So I, I would say in all these things, um, embrace it. But don't That's something do that we tried in, in our company as well. We created a, a guide for when leaders, senior leaders step up in the plant so they could in, interact with plant shop, shop for people, uh, making better questions, good questions, show engagement and everything. And that, that's the same in the in the learning group. We need to prepare the leaders to, um, uh, like giving up on controlling and, and allow enable learning in the session. Absolutely. Don't, don't assume just because they're a leader that they know how to listen. <laughs> Yep. And and this, about this, listen, uh, I have a, a opinion as well. Sometimes uh, you are importance to, to the listening uh, because it's not a natural skill that you have and, and you can lose uh, also the, the skill. It's not forever since you develop. So you need to always be thinking about listening to people. Yes, and we call it, there's a difference between sort of active, active listening. Active listening. Um, versus what most people are doing is they're listening to judge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and, and they're, so, so it's no different. I mean, you know, what, what happens is I, I might have a group of people, and, and this is classic with um, um, adult learning. I could have a group of people and if I say things that relate to their belief, what they believe, they'll go, that guy is fantastic. If I say something that goes against what they believe, they're gonna say, that's terrible. <laughs> so what, what we talk about when we do a learning team is that people are there to look at, to look at things through the eyes of other people. So when we think about the facilitator, when we think about the leaders, they're there to look at it through the eyes of others, not to look at it through their own sets of eyes. And, and we find that helps people understand what active listening means. Yes, I had a great conversation with Rosa Carrillo about it, and she's a master on, on this. Oh, uh, and a but, lovely lady as well. Yeah, she's amazing. Brent, uh, some of the companies that are starting this uh, new view uh, journey, I would say, uh, they have problems for the introduction of learning groups because uh, sometimes it's not easy to convince uh, leaders or, or the, the company somehow that this is the is a good methodology that can you kind of partially answer it already not starting by the incident but that's a problem that shows up when people start investigating things for uh, like incidents because uh, the learning team methodology usually 
doesn't like stare on root causes and, and cause and consequence like uh, binary on things. Uh, so what should be your, your advice for those companies that are in trouble with their leadership to Sure. Look, I think it's really important because because I, I think and, and what Todd also talks about is how do we bridge people between these these two worlds so and, it, and it's really interesting I, I hear this quite often about um, uh, root cause analysis okay really quite often um, and in the book we actually use a root cause analysis as part of the learning team but we went back and we looked at what was the intention of root cause analysis and the intention of it and how it's being used are two different things. So a, a good person who does root cause uses root, root cause for completeness or for assurance. <laughs> a poor person uses it as a questioning technique. So if part of root cause, for instance, is say is around supervision, then the poor person's gonna be asking, why weren't you being supervised? Uh, we use root cause in learning teams to basically as an assurance tool. In other words, if the learning team during the first phase didn't talk about the need for supervision or what supervision looks like, then the facilitator can then through the clarification process, then put that to the learning team group by saying things like, how important is supervision when you do this job? Yes. So I, I think root cause um, can be part of a learning team, but it's there to provide assurance and verification. Whereas what we want in a learning team is we want those people to come together and brainstorm. We want them to share their stories, share their experiences. If I was to follow a checklist, that's going to shut down those conversations. What I want is I want those conversations to happen, and then I want to use root cause a little bit later on to help to help me as a facilitator to provide that completeness. Re remembering that the reason you're there to begin with is because your risk management has failed. So your risk yes. management wasn't complete. Yes, and uh, as a curiosity, I, I wrote a, a thesis on learning teams, comparing the, the incident investigations methodology, learning teams and root cause analysis. Uh, probably it's gonna be a paper some someday if I have time. Yeah, because my life is <laughs> is not easy. Uh, but some conclusions uh, and the conclusion I. I suggesting that this is that the methodology should be combined because each one has some pros and cons. Uh, so for example, uh, participants of a learning team, they, they pointed in many opportunities that it's easier to bring things, bring new ideas, bring even stupid things that they, they have in mind during the learning team process. Like brainstorming was facilitated in the learning team uh, they were more relaxed to say things without being cut. So the psychological side, psychological safety side of the, the whole process was uh, better, uh, according to the, the research I did. 
and but uh, on the other hand, on the, the root cause analysis, the participants told uh, reported that it's more structured, so it's more it's easier to follow the steps. It's easier to know what you are doing in each phase you are in the process. So I think I suggested that a combination of methods, as you as you just said, can be the the better uh, solution for this situation look I, I agree because look um when we investigate when we investigate we're putting the person in the center and purely by them being in the center that they, they, they feel that um doesn't doesn't matter doesn't matter how we feel but they feel that they're being held to account that they're being put under the spotlight a learning team turns it around because, because what's happening in a traditional investigation, um, and a root cause, they call it a focus event. They don't talk about calling a focus person. They talk about focused event. So even a root cause, root cause doesn't say that you interview each person by themselves. Root cause says that you go out and you understand what normal work look like. And that's where a learning team is really powerful. So um, we, we're, we're right in the middle at the moment of working with a number of organizations where they've made uh, big investments in their root cause strategies or, or their root cause tools. And we're using learning teams to bridge that. What's, what's interesting from my point of view, um, if we run a learning team, workers will say to us, I'm looking forward to the next one. Have you ever heard that when you've done an investigation? <laughs> Person just disappear when it's it's over already. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. And, and and that is because we're getting people together as a group. We're not putting a spotlight on a person. So yeah. for me, that the learning team is about placing the system in the center, the people around the outside of the system and asking that question about how does the system support successful work? Exactly. So we've been pushing learning teams a bit harder. What, what we're saying with a learning team, it's not about comparing work as imagined or work as done. The organization already knows what work as imagined or work as planned looks like. They know that already. So when we use a learning team for events, we're trying to understand the difference between work as done or normal work and work on the day of the event. Yes. Because I agree. it's much more it's more restorative if that makes sense. It's because because what we're learning, because we already because imagine it's a triangle. So the bottom left-hand side is work as imagined. You you guys know that that's in your policies, your procedures your written rules, what have you got? You, you know that. So let's start with the top part of the pyramid, which is work is done, or normal, normal work as we call it. And then the bottom part is going to be about work on the day. Because that is that variability that matters. It's understanding what was that shift between those things that, that happened. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm pretty sure that the learning groups or are the best uh, 
at least from now that we have available the best methodology to try to understand these things. Well, uh, they, they we're, might have... we're gonna need people to to feel free to speak up and to bring things to you to understand this triangle. Yeah, because they're not. We're not focusing on the person. We're focusing on what does normal work look like. Brent, is that common in companies that have the new view uh, implemented and established already, uh, conducting learning teams or, or investigations, uh, still looking for fixing things faster, uh, still thinking about the traditional view? So uh, is that common to see or since once you have everything set and implemented and established, uh, it's gone forever? Oh, look, I, I, I think once again, um, when when leaders are faced with uncertainty, which is what an event is, it's easy for us to drop back into our default mode. It's easy for that to happen. It's easy to question why. So yes. I don't think it matters whether someone's in the old view or the new view of safety it would be normal for leaders to question why, because they're faced with uncertainty at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you, you're going to see that variability regardless. I, I quite like what Eric Honagel talks about, is that by, by focusing on learning from everyday work, you'll see a far more greater um, uh, familiarity or similarity of things than you do from doing events. No one, no one ever comes away from from a, an event feeling good about it because harm has happened. I think where learning teams are very powerful for events is the restorative component of a learning team, which is helping people to normalise what actually happened. Yes. So, so helping them to uh, get through that psychological feelings that they have around uh, guilt or anger or denial or blame about when things happen. Because, we, you know, when you make a mistake, Hugo, when, when we make a mistake as a human, uh, we have a little voice in our head and that little voice is going to be a voice of blame. It's going to be the, a voice of denial, a, a voice of guilt or a voice of um, angry. Make sense? That, that's how humans, that's how we behave when things go wrong for us. Exactly. But, but what really we also, well explained. Yeah, but we, what we also need is that we want that voice of reason to come in and to say we can learn from this. And, and I think organizations lack that voice. But many times, many times yep. they, I'm pretty sure they lack uh, Brent, what kind of uh, skills would you look like? Would you look for when you are develop your your facilitators uh, in the company? Is there something that this guy cannot miss? Is there a specific characteristic that uh, a facilitator should have to be part of the, the facilitator facilitation? Well, Look, that's really interesting because uh, we we think probably the more important skills is having empathy. Now, you, you either are empathetic 
either you care as a human or you don't care. So if you have empathy, which is caring for other people, then that's a really important skill to actually have. If you don't care about people, then it's going to be a little bit difficult <laughs> in that yes. way. Um, but, but at the end of the day, if you think about it, um, uh, we use the word soft skills. L learning teams makes use of what we call non-technical skills. So it's about communicating, about collaborating, um, you know, facilitating. Um, but the most important one is that, is that whole thing around uh, critical thinking or reflection skills. So just giving yourself that time. And, and that's what soap time is about. But, but soak time should be soak time should be for the people involved in the learning team and also the facilitator as well. Yeah, it's always tough when I when I'm training people on learning teams, it's always tough to to explain the soaking time so people say it think initially that it's uh, like useless or so, but I always uh, hitting this same important that it's good for you good for the facilitator it allows your brain to get used to the situation it gives space for reflection so it's a uh, really important it's part of the methodology and should not be skipped no look it's really important you know particularly for um uh, accidents and incidents we um, i mean it's no different there, there always needs to be some reflective piece that has to happen um, for instance, when we talk about everyday learning teams is a really good example. When, when people do work, there is lots of things that happen pre-work, lots of pre-planning, or we call it pre-risk. So you guys do things like toolbox meetings or job start type things. Yes. But if you do something, pre, if, there's some, if there's something that's pre-start, there also needs to be something that's post-start. So if you do something at the beginning of the day or the beginning of the shift, there's also something that needs to happen towards the end of the shift or the end of the day. Exactly. The post jobs or so. Post, yeah, yeah. But 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 what we find is a lot of what people end up doing is judgment-based. So they get the group of people and they say, oh, what went well, what didn't go well. I know. That's not what we want to know. What, what we want to know is this is how we plan work. This is how we had to adjust our plan as work went on. And we call that, where did we have to make do? So what were the rubs? What were the things that we had to deal with that, that, that came along? And, and that's a reflection tool because what's happening is that people by talking about those things, talking about where they had to make do, what those rubs were, then they think about that overnight. And, and your brain really takes on board new things when it can reason with that information. So having that context, that reflective bit is about establishing that context, that, that's when that learning gets embedded deeply. So a lot of what happens in, in the workplace at the moment learning is incidental learning happens by accident if you want learning to influence people's behavior or for people to improve by themselves 
then learning must be deliberate. So think about how do we make learning deliberate for everyday work? That's the great strategy that the company can have, not only in EHS, but also operations, quality, everything that is is available. Friends, the time is so (laughs) running so fast. Uh, I want you please to talk a little bit about how people can, can find you, what kind of services can you guys provide to people that are in this journey, where they can find the book, uh, watch your future plans, feel free to... Absolutely. So, so, so really, I mean, the, the, reason we, the reason we wrote the book was to support community. And um, I, I accept, uh, you know, the book might be expensive in Brazil, I, I understand that, um, but it's still a lot cheaper than doing a training course. <laughs> what cheaper? That's why people are buying when I recommend this. Yeah, I have... yeah, and that was the objective. The objective was basically to do something so that um, everyone's journey is different with learning teams, and it has to be different. So what we did is we, we described what does good look like? So what does a good learning teams facilitator look like? And then the book gets people to understand where are they at in their journey? So where do I sit in that journey across those five core competencies? And if you can understand where you sit and where you need to be, then you can have a plan. So from a community point of view, we're really trying to help people um, bridge between these two worlds. We believe that learning teams is agnostic, meaning that learning teams can work whether you're on the new the new view of safety or not. So we think learning teams can sit across both worlds, and and you know it's it becomes difficult when we talk about these divides, safety one, safety two, all these things. It says that there's two different camps. Um, what we're seeing is that learning teams uh, allow people to bridge between these two worlds. As organizations see the value of operational learning, they become more curious and they want to learn more about things like HOP, for example, as, as a result. Yes. Um, from, from a commercial point of view, um, from the business that we run, we, we really want to help organizations embed learning teams. And embedding learning teams is a strategy. It has to be a strategy. It just can't be, I'm going to give it a go and see what happens. It has to be a strategy. And you need to think about it, that you're going to have some people who are going to be early adopters. Those people want to be your champions. You're going to have a group of people that are going to sit back and watch what's going on. And that if it looks good, they'll get involved. Then you'll have a group of people that don't want to change. Okay. And so what we talk about is that you need to identify the fact that there are going to be those through groups of people in the organization and leaders. They're going to exist and that you can't have one strategy to win them all. You've got to have those three different strategies. So the example where you've got people that that basically talk about, you know, our learning teams, it's, it's the new thing, but it'll go away. 
because every two years the organization brings something new and we, we ride it out for two years and it goes away. So with that group of people, when we look at learning teams, we, we change the learning team to start to look at valued versus non-valued activities. So we ask that manager or that leader about what do they value in the organization? And then we get learning, we use learning teams to show that person how they can improve that area of the business that they work in that's important to them. So I think those things are, are, are really interesting strategies. And what we want to do is we want to help organizations and coach people in those organizations to embed learning teams so that learning teams just become part of the things we do around here. And that they use it for um, everyday activities, gaining that, that rich intelligence that's happening. They use it for um, change management, learning teams for managing change. So when we bring on new things or change things and that, and if you need to, using learning teams when incidents or events happen. So we're All taking right. a slightly different approach, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a lot. A lot yep. of sense. Yeah. And I hope people will understand this and, and use this this tool the better and most productive way. Brent Sutton, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope it's gonna be uh, a good uh, opportunity for us to to share your knowledge and in, in your uh, book as well and in, in the services you can provide. I hope uh, people are gonna be in touch with you to learn more because you have a lot of to teach us and to share with the Brazilian community that are just starting. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and look, um, you know, we, we're hopeful that um, once uh, the COVID settles down, that we'll be able to come over and spend some time with everyone. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we are looking forward. <laughs> Thank you, Hugo. listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.